Okay, you can be opening up your Bibles to the letter to Galatians, or to the churches in Galatia. And we're going to be beginning a study in that uh, letter. It's going to take a while. It's going to be a few weeks. Uh, we'll, we'll be studying probably through at least two quarters in this letter. It's a wonderful letter. It's, uh, it's a very uh, easy to understand letter, I think. You've you got a lot of things that are talked about in here. You have Paul making a defense of his apostleship in here. And you got a lot of other things going on that the churches in Galatia needed to hear. And you can imagine how it was read in that region, uh, carried through the different churches and would have been read to the brethren that were there. And you know, it, we're, we're living in troubling times, right? We're living in a very um, dark world, it seems like. And it seems to be getting worse all the time, right? We talk about that a lot, you know? And of course, sin is very present. Uh, present, present. Depravity seems to be on the rise. And there's many, many different religions seeking truths, right? Seeking to address the problem of sin. And they all fail, right? They all fail in that regard. First of all, their solutions are, just don't do it. They don't cut it. They don't give people the hope that we have in Christ. And I hesitate to call Christianity a religion, although it is a religion, but Christianity is a little bit more than, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit in our introduction to the letter today. Christianity is really more of that relationship that you have with the Lord, right? It's that way you live in freedom, the way that God intended for you to live. It's not about the law, it's not about keeping the rules, but we live in a world that's dark and depraved, sinful. And this letter is going to address some of those issues, how we are to live in freedom. Freedom through our love for God. Remember the first commandment was what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. All the law and the prophets hang on that very command. So in that sense, this letter is going to tell us Paul's going to talk about how it's not about keeping the law. It's not about following the rules. It's not about the stuff in the Old Testament. That was all pointing to Jesus. And now it's the law of freedom, the law of liberty that we have in Christ Jesus. Living a life like God intended. Like God showed us through his son who came in the flesh. John 1 says the word was there in the beginning. And the word became flesh and dwelt among men. So we have a lot of sin in the world, obviously, but it's not really that different than the Christians were experiencing in the first century. What was going on in the first century? Well, they were dealing with a lot of false gospels. They were dealing with a lot of idolatry, a lot of other religions, pagan religions, trying to give people hope, trying to sanctify and save people, but they couldn't do it. And so you had a lot of hopelessness just like you do today. You had a lot of depravity, sin, people seeking out ways to find meaning in their lives, and they couldn't do it because they didn't know Christ, who was really the only true way to find meaning in your life. He's going to deal with some of these things in this letter. He's going to deal with these false gospels, the false hopes, and he's going to provide guidance for salvation and godly living. And he's going to remind those brethren who are in the churches in Galatia about their first love, about the churches when they were established by Paul on his missionary journeys, why they were, that was done, why they believed, why they became followers of Christ. 
It remains a powerful and relevant guide for Christians today. In this lesson, we're going to consider some background information on the book of Galatians. But it's going to be, you're going to be able to see how what he's telling the churches in Galatia applies to us today the same, right? You know, Ecclesiastes says what? There's nothing new under the sun, right? Well, stuff that's going on today was happening back then. Yeah, maybe in a different way, but there's still sin. There's still hopelessness. There's still depravity. There's still idols. There's still pagan worshiping people today. And it's going to be that way to the end of time. So God, Paul's going to give some hope. Let's, let's begin our reading first few verses there in the chapter 1 of Galatians. Just as the introduction, and of course, verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Wow, what a great uh, entry to the letter. What a wonderful salutation, right? What a wonderful way to express who's writing this letter. Paul, he names himself. He also does this over in chapter 5. Twice in the letter he names himself. And he is pretty much worldwide understood to be the writer of this uh, letter. In fact, you might find a lot of critics today that try to say, Paul didn't write all the epistles. I mean, he, if you think about it, he wrote over, well, probably over half the New Testament, right? What we have in the New Testament. But you have a lot of critics today that try to say, ah, oh, Paul didn't write all those letters. Somebody else did it and, and maybe put his, you know, tried to make it look like it was Paul. But they don't deny this one. Paul makes it plain. And he has a good reason for it. We're going to look at that, right? He has a good reason to talk about that. In fact, you might see it there in that first verse. He's an apostle, not from men, but by God and the Father, by Jesus Christ the Lord and the Father. Let's turn over back to Acts chapter 9. And you're going to, unless you might want to keep Acts open because we're going to be reading several verses from Acts uh, during our study today. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. And this is to get a little bit of background on Paul there. Uh, verse 1, Acts chapter 9. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked the letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So who was Paul before? He was Saul of Tarsus, persecutor of the church, of the way boldly going around seeking those of the way, those he considered to be heretics. Turn down to uh, chapter, uh, let's go down to verse 15. See something there. And he says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul, who was a persecutor of the way, became known as the apostle to the Gentiles. Chosen vessel of the Lord to bring the gospel 
to the rest of the world, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles also. And you remember when we studied John and we studied about Cornelius and how Peter had to be told again several years later that the gospel is not just for the Jews, they were still struggling with that. And Paul says, I was chosen to be sent out to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Regarding that authorship in Galatians, it's unanimous. Pretty much all critics agree that Paul wrote the letter. He immediately identifies himself as an apostle, not from men or not through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And it's interesting how he uses that. He raised him from the dead. He wants them to understand, this is the same God who raised Jesus up. And remember, we've talked about it many times, if Jesus just died... He's just another guy that dies, right? He's just another, you know, guy that came through claiming to be God, but he died. But no, God raised him up. And we know that's the kicker. That's the real impetus behind the gospel, right? Yes, he died for us. He saved us. He forgave our sins through the blood of Christ. And then he raised him up, just like we're going to be. Just like that hope that we have of being with him forever. Paul's making that point right off the bat, not wasting any time, not diddling around. He's saying, hey dudes, I'm an apostle. I was appointed by God, the same God that raised Jesus from the dead, whom you believe in. I can see him writing that out, probably with a little passion in his mind, you know, a little fire behind it, because things are being said about him, apparently, that aren't true, and he is going to defend the statement, his apostleship, right? His gospel and apostleship were questioned, perhaps, by many in Jerusalem and the regions where the churches had already been established, perhaps. He's already being questioned as people are finding out who he is. Maybe because of the fact that he was the Jew of Jews. Maybe because he was the great persecutor of the church, going and get letters so he could go to Damascus and persecute those who are of the way. Having identified himself as the author of this epistle, Paul makes the claim that he is an apostle. And he makes the claim that he was sent to the Gentiles. <clears throat> he also mentions those who are with him, right? Doesn't mention names. He does that in other letters. But he doesn't mention names, but he's making a point there too, right? These folks that are with me they know what I'm preaching. They know what I'm saying. I have witnesses of this. It's not just me saying this. I got folks who are believers in the same gospel that you believe in and understand who I am and the work that I am doing and the suffering that I am going through for the sake of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say that in so many words, but that's the point behind it, right? That's what he's trying to tell these folks. Who is he speaking to here? Well... The recipients of this gospel or this letter are those churches in the region of Galatia. Okay, where's Galatia? What's Galatia? Well, at the time, it was a geographic location of Asia, Asia Minor. Uh, there's a northern kind of southern Asia Minor. Southern Asia Minor is more Ro Roman province, northern a little outside of that area. But you would consider today to be modern-day Turkey, that area. Just just north of, of uh, Palestine and up uh, to the west above the Great Sea, that area. He had gone through on his first missionary journey 
uh, established several churches in that region, and we'll talk about those in a minute. But it was a geographical location. It was also a political uh, term used to describe the northern and the central and the southern part of Asia, right? You had the Roman Empire, and then you had other regions. So politically speaking, you can say there were regions of Galatia uh, that were ruled by different uh, groups or, or governments, you might say, whatever. And Paul's probably referring, most likely referring to that Roman province in the southern part of Galatia. The churches of Galatia. On his first missionary journey, he establishes some churches. Let's go back to Acts and read about that first missionary journey, Acts 13. I'm going to read a few verses here just so we get the background on it. And I know you've studied these, but we need to remind ourselves a little bit about it. Acts chapter 13. I'm going to read several verses beginning in verse, uh, let's begin in verse 13. He says, Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John, this is John Mark, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. Now I want you to picture this in your mind because this is Paul. He was Saul. They don't know who he is necessarily by seeing him, but they have heard about him, right? They've heard the name of Saul, the great persecutor of the church. And after reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to him saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. When they would go into the synagogues, men were asked to speak, especially visitors. They were asked if they wanted to say something. Then Paul stood up. And motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought, them out of, he brought them out of it. Now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. In other words, he was very patient. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel a prophet. You see, Paul knows his history. He knows the Old Testament. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will from this man's seed according to the promise God raised up for Israel as Savior, Jesus. Now, can you imagine what the people were thinking when they heard that? After John had first, geez, after John had first preached, before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you... The word of this salvation has been sent. In other words, it came to the Jews first. For, this, for those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers, 
God has fulfilled this for uh, God has fulfilled this for us their children and that he has raised up Jesus as is also written in the second psalm He's telling the Jews in his synagogue guess what guys I know this Jesus the one that was raised up by God that was crucified on the tree He's the one that all the Old Testament was pointing to What do you think these guys in the synagogue are thinking when they're hearing this right? They don't know who he is yet. Scooting down to verse 36. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets came upon you in other words this jesus that was crucified he forgives sins who can forgive sins god only god therefore he just told them he is the son of god he is god the one that died for you on that tree who god raised up verse 42 so when the jews went out of the synagogue the gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next sabbath they're going, what is this guy talking about? Who is this guy? Remember, we're not in Jerusalem anymore. He's in a synagogue in the city in Galatia. So you got Gentiles all everywhere, but you, you know, they're not necessarily in the synagogue, but they're hearing something. What's this he's talking about? Now, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And notice this verse. On the next Sabbath... Almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Word got out, didn't it? <laughs> this guy caused up a stir. He was stirring the pot. All right? See that at the football games these days, right? He was stirring the pot. Making a ruckus. Causing a stir. And the Gentiles are hearing about this and they're going, what's this guy talking about? I need to know what he's talking about. What is going on here? Can you imagine that today? Somebody coming into Atlanta, stirring the pot, and the whole city goes to hear about it. I don't see it happening. That's apparently what was going on here. When the Jews saw the multitudes, though, they were filled with envy. And contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Me. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold. Didn't scare. They didn't get scared. They didn't shy away they didn't run for the hills they grew bold and said it was necessary that the word of god should be spoken to you first but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life behold we turn to the gentiles that's a pretty bold statement isn't it because you decided to go to hell i'm going to the gentiles that's what he's saying isn't he <laughs> basically Sorry, I'm getting a little worked up, but I love this passage because Paul is so bold to preach the gospel. And here we already see the Jews getting in there and saying, uh-uh-uh, not in our house. Doesn't bother Paul, just makes him emboldened, makes him more determined to preach the gospel. This guy who was made an apostle through the God, through God the Father, not by men, 
For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came by Cunium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Verse, uh, four, chapter 14, Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude of the Jews and of the Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Here we have Paul and Martin being persecuted by the Jews, just like Jesus was. Gentiles are hearing it. They're saying, this is good news. This is the gospel. I believe. But the Jews are persecuting them so badly that they get expelled from the region. What do they do? They go back to Jerusalem? They just give up? <laughs> no. They go to Iconium. And guess what? The same thing happens there. Same thing. Jews get stirred up. They persecute them. And they have to leave. But guess what? Gentiles are hearing the good news, aren't they? And thank God for that. Because look where we are. If that hadn't happened, we may never have known about the gospel, the great news of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful statement to make. I wanted to read that because I wanted you to see that background that Paul went through in this region. See that history, right? He established several churches in the Roman province of Galatia. On the second missionary journey, let's run over there real quick, Acts 16, just to see what happened there because there's something I want to point out. It's not as long a passage. Uh, Acts 16, verse 1, Then he came to Derbe, and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted to have him go on with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. See, the Jews are still conniving. They're still trying to get him. They're still trying to get back and persecute Paul. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. This would have been the second missionary journey, which occurred around 54 to 58 AD. The first, I'm sorry, that's the third one. The first one was between 45 and 47. This one was around 51 to 54. And then if you scoot over to Acts chapter 18, you can see on the third missionary journey, he says, verse 22, and when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. After he had spent more time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. This is the same Paul who'd been persecuted in all these cities, all this region, and he went there at least three times. First established those churches, and two more times. Meeting Timothy on the way who became his great helper, his great brother in the uh, and in, in, his, in his missionary journeys, the great brother who helped him in all times, a great help to him, and then a third time even to go back and strengthen the churches, even though he's going to be persecuted. He just keeps going, bold. And we read about the home of Timothy. Of course, we hear about Timothy many times. In fact, 
we have two letters to Timothy, right? That are great helps to us today. Time and place of the writing is uncertain, probably around 55 AD or so. Um, not sure about that, but what's more certain, because what's written in this letter is the purpose and the content. The churches in Galatia were being influenced by those who would pervert the gospel. Go back to Galatians chapter 1. And I'm reading uh, beginning in verse 6. And notice how bold Paul is when he's writing to the brethren there. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. He gets, gets to it right off the bat there. He's saying, I marvel at that. Why? Why would you do that? Makes me think of, you know, your mom when you did something really stupid. You know, and she might have, I don't know, she might have got the belt out or something, but before she did that, she said, why did you do that? I didn't teach you to do that. I get the same sense from Paul here. Verse 7, which is not, the gospel which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. He says it twice. For I do now persuade men, for do, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For I, if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. He's saying, what are you doing? I told you differently. You're so soon turning from that? Why? I marvel at that. These people that were preaching false gospel are known what we call Judaizing teachers. You can first read about them in Acts 15, verse 1. They're individuals who taught that Gentile Christians needed to keep the law of Moses. And they needed to be circumcised, right? In other words, the Old Testament law is still in play here. You have to keep all that even if you're going to believe in Jesus Christ. Paul's going to address that. The enemies of the gospel were trying to support their case. How? By saying Paul's not really an apostle. That's how they were doing it. They were saying, you've got to keep the law. You've got to be circumcised. This Paul dude who's telling you otherwise, he's not an apostle. He's just a guy. He was persecuting the church, the Christians before. He's not anybody. And Paul has to make that defense first and foremost, right? To make his preaching solid, to, to, to buttress that, to make a foundation there. Paul says he is an apostle by the Lord and Father. All right, how do we know that for sure? Paul says, I'm an apostle. Well, he's just a guy, right? People lie. People make claims all the time, right? We have people today that say they're an apostle of Jesus Christ, right? You don't hear about it so much in the news more because the news don't ever talk about that stuff anymore, but you used to hear it. And we know they're false because we can prove it. There are certain things that we look at to say what is an apostle. Turn over to Acts chapter 1 and let's just see about that. Acts chapter 1, and, and in fact, you know, you might hear someone today say, Paul was not an apostle. In fact, I have heard people say that Paul, the, the letters of Paul have no business being in the New Testament because Paul was just a guy. Who was he? 
Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse, um, let's see where we start, 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120, 120 disciples. And said, men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. Then it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that the field is called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Therefore all these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two, Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he, may go, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So, first thing I want you to notice here is uh, <coughs> Peter stands up amongst the disciples. Not just the eleven, but there are 120 disciples there. All right? But they need to single someone out to be part of the twelve. That twelve being the complete number, the perfect number. They needed another person to be numbered among the apostles. And so they cast lots, Matthias is chosen. And you see the first thing there, he's saying he had to be with us from the time of John the Baptist. He had to know Jesus. He had to be with us while Jesus was teaching us and while Jesus was commanding us to go out to preach the gospel, to be sent. But remember, they have not gotten a command to go to the Gentiles, although they've been told to go to all the world. Matthew 28, they still don't fully understand that, right? They still think this is a gospel meant for the Jews. So you have that. All right, that's the first thing. That's, that's really the two things that you see from that. Yes, sir. You're going to have claims like that. Yeah, did you hear that over there, Brother John? said he was once studying with a guy who said he was an apostle. And all he said was, have you seen Jesus personally? And he couldn't answer. And that's true. We see from here that an apostle had to be someone who had been with Jesus, been taught by Jesus, and been sent by Jesus. Now let's look over at Acts 26 and see what Paul said about that. Acts 26. Of course, we know the story of the great light in him being blinded on the road to Damascus, right? Acts 26, and this is how he's making his uh, recounting things of, um, uh, in front of Agrippa. In verse, uh, let's see, verse tw let's start with verse 12, Acts 26. He says, While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, 
I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, <clears throat> both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I will now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Paul saw Jesus. So Paul, as we know from the account in Acts 9, was sent on into Damascus, right? And told that someone would come to him to tell him what to do, remember? Ananias comes in, says, rise and, and have your sight. Something like scales came off his eyes, he was able to see again, and then he was baptized. And then it says he spent time with the brethren and immediately went into the synagogues and began to preach. So he spent some time in study with the brethren who had been with Jesus. He saw Jesus, he was sent by Jesus, when we read that in that account, to the Gentiles. Paul claims to be an apostle. We have the foundation that proves he was an apostle. If you go by the account that's in Acts 1, Paul is telling the truth. All right, in fact, let's turn back to Galatians and see what he says about that. We're going to get a little ahead, but let's go Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. But it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. There you have it. Just like the apostles who had spent time with him from the time of John the Baptist, he was taught by Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it, and I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's room and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. That Paul is verifying his apostleship. That's the first thing he does, making that defense, saying, just like the original 11 and 12, original 12, and Matthias, who was added after Judas dies, I was with Christ, I was taught by Christ, and I was sent by Christ Jesus. He's an apostle, right there. He has the witnesses to it. You can't refute it. Because of his outstanding defense of the gospel, in which we have freedom from sin and the law, this epistle has been called the Magna Carta of Christian Liberty. Does everybody know what the Magna Carta was? Yeah, you know, you kind of know, you've heard it, right? 1215, bad King John signs a treaty with 13 rebel land barons who didn't like the fact that the king had the full authority, and so they wrote up a little bill of rights, you might say, that said... You still got to obey the law. You can't just come seize our property. You can't just put us in jail for no reason. We got to have a jury of peers. 
that accuses us and convicts us. Of course, that, there were several wars fought after that. King didn't uphold that. There's several versions of the Magna Carta after that. But basically, you can trace back our Bill of Rights, our freedoms in America, to the Magna Carta of 1215. It was the same idea. Not the same verses, not the same exact things happened, but it's very similar. And that's what Galatians is going to be about. It's not about following the law. It's not about going back to the Old Testament. It's having that liberty, liberty in Christ Jesus that we read about in John. Remember when Jesus said, the truth shall set you free? Running out of time. But the, there's an outline here. The first part, first chapter is going to be talking about this relationship to the other apostles. Then for chapters 3 and 4, it's defense of the gospel of the justification by faith. The personal argument, scriptural, practical, and sentimental and allegorical argument are through chapters 3 and 4. Then in 5 and 6, it's called to stand fast in that liberty that ex excludes the necessity of circumcision, that liberty that fulfills the law, that liberty by which one is led by the Spirit, that liberty with a sense of responsibility, and then he concludes it. In other words, this letter is going to talk about the liberty that pertains to the freedom from bond the bondage of sin, which we read about in John, the freedom from the law of Moses, which can't be kept, the freedom to serve one another in love, just as the first command. What was the second command? Just like the first, to love your neighbor as yourself. The freedom from works of the flesh, that sanctification, that growth we have through Christ Jesus, through our constant study, through our constant prayer life, through our service, we grow. We become free from those temptations, those struggles we have to sin, and free to produce fruit of the Spirit, to go out and evangelize, bring others to Christ, and show them the liberty that they have in Christ Jesus. You see, it's not about keeping the law. It's not about going through the rituals. It's about living a life in love for your God who designed you and set a way for you to live. It's not about the rules. I like to think of it being like when we're in heaven. Why don't we live today in this world like we're going to live in heaven? Sure, we're in the flesh. We can't do that perfectly. We're going to fail at it. That's the point. Because of your love for God, you live a life of freedom. You're free to love God and live according to God. You want to hear more about that freedom? Be here next week. Thanks for being here. Time is up.